Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Have you ever thought about how happy Jesus was? It's an interesting question, right? More often than not, when I think of Jesus, I think of him being serious. And not in a bad way, but I take him as serious because of the seriousness of his message and what he came to do. And I take that seriously, so I think of Jesus as being serious. And sure, there were times when he wept. He was sad when people refused to believe and to trust God. And according to prophecy, it says that Jesus was a man of sorrow and was acquainted with grief. We know the scene at Gethsemane when he wrestled with his father's will before going to the cross. But as we read all of scripture, I believe that these were the exceptions. Because what I also see is that Jesus was happy. He was a very happy person. He enjoyed a party. His first miracle was turning water into wine at the wedding, at a celebration, at a feast. He enjoyed getting together with people from all walks of life. He enjoyed life and we see him living it to the full. Jesus had a way about him that was light and easy. So when he says, follow me and I'll teach you how to do the same, you say, yes, I'm in. I want that. But how do we get it? Because as we talked about last week, fear often creeps up. As, as we start embracing love, as we start opening up our homes and our tables and meeting with people, fear starts taking over. Worry starts coming in. Anxieties start running wild in our minds. But in the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew's Gospel from chapters 5 through 7, we see Jesus saying that we don't need to worry. And he doesn't just teach it to us, he's not just saying it, but he lives it. He leads by example. Even the examples that he uses to illustrate his point just show us how much he lives it. In chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
These examples flow straight out of Jesus' own experience of life. He, he's looking around, he's noticing, he's appreciating and enjoying the glorious God-given beauty of all that was around him. His teaching was coming straight from his lived experience. He's taking it all in. So when he's saying, don't worry about tomorrow, we know that he was not worried about tomorrow. He wasn't anxiously waiting or looking ahead, just wondering what was gonna happen. He was staying present to the here and now. He was here, he was present. He was paying attention and he was seeing and noticing what God was already doing all around him. It's easy to spend or actually waste a lot of time worrying about the what ifs. I remember back in college when I was going through my accounting program, I would panic before the exams and I had this anti-anxiety spray that I would try and spray in my mouth to try and calm me down because my mind would just take over and it would just start racing. But worrying robs you from being fully present. Worrying about something means you're there, not here. Jesus is teaching us to be fully present in the moment, in this moment, here, not there, here. Jesus is teaching us how to live in the world with joy. And central to this kind of life is Jesus' insistence that God can be trusted. Jesus knew the goodness of God. He could see the beauty all around him, put there by the creator of the universe. And while some people insist that the world is full of darkness and shadows and gloom and vanity, Jesus ins insists that the world that God created is good and that God himself is good. You see, Jesus is insisting that God knows what we need before we even ask for it. He's calling us to step into this new way of life that's grounded, that's centered, and that's non-reactive. Regardless of what may come or how uncertain things may be as we've experienced this year, we will be okay. Jesus is inviting you to live in the present, to give your attention to the present task, to celebrate the goodness of God here and now. And if this isn't a recipe for happiness, I don't know what is. It's so easy to get caught up in the comparison and looking, but if only I had that, or if only I had that, or maybe the next thing I accomplish or achieve or get will make me happy. But we have to stay present to where we are and what God is already doing around us. If you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm, I'm a type seven, which is the enthusiast. And one of our shortcomings is that we wanna look ahead. We wanna get to what's next. We want the excitement, the adventure. And one of the things I actually bought recently while I was out at uh, the Terra with Amanda was this little sign that says, you are here. And I think Amanda thought I was a little crazy forgetting it, but I put it on my desk and it just sits there each day and it just reminds me that I'm here. 
It reminds me to, to ground myself in, okay, what do I need to do today? What do I need to accomplish? Where is God in my life right now, this moment? It reminds me to pay attention and be aware. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying you don't need to worry. Be present to the here and now. But there's more. That kind of sounds like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. But for those of you wondering, yeah, but these things, what to eat and drink and wear, they still matter. Yes, they do. Jesus isn't saying that these things don't matter. The point Jesus was making was about priorities. He was calling them, his listeners, his audience, and he's calling us to make God the priority. When he says don't worry about these things, he's not saying they don't matter. He's saying the priority matters and God comes first. But it's important to also realize what God he's talking about. So he's not talking about a God who's distant from the world or a, a God who created everything and then just left us to fend for ourselves. He's talking about the God of the universe, the creator of everything. He's talking about a God who has filled the world with beauty and wonder and mystery. And just as Jesus is present to his surroundings, he's also pointing us to a God who's present with us. Emmanuel. Jesus wants us to see just how much we are loved by God and he wants us to trust him, to put our faith in him, to love him and to prioritize him, to make him first, to make him number one. And speaking of priorities, did you know that there's also somewhat of a priority or an order given to, to scripture? And I'm not talking about the chapter numbers or the headings. In fact, those didn't come till around the 13th century onward. I'm talking about the order of the original text and the way it was written. Each author chose how they wanted to, to put this together and what they wanted to communicate. And it's important to note this because these aren't just wise little sayings that are just collected and thrown together randomly. They're actually arranged and put together in a very specific order. So as you read it as a whole, and not just as these random sayings, you can see the progression. You see a larger picture emerge. So chapter six ends with Jesus saying, do not worry. Each day have, has enough trouble of its own. And then chapter seven begins, do not judge. And when you read that as a whole and rather than separate ideas, you're kind of like, wait, hold up. How did we get from worry to judging? Do not worry. Each day have, has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge. Like, okay, where's the connection? Well, if we just take these words of Jesus as a collection of random sayings, then we think, okay, don't worry, check. Okay, don't judge, check. But when we zoom out a bit and we look at it as a whole, we see there's a progression. Worrying is about you. It's about me. It's inward. Whereas judging is about others. Jesus says this in chapter 7. 
Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's or sister's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Pay attention and notice the progression. Don't judge. Don't worry about the speck in someone else's eye when you have a plank in yours. And then to dogs and pigs. Now something else to pay attention to when you're reading the Bible is that if you get to a part that makes you say, what? Assume that there's a flow to what the author is doing. He's trying to communicate something. He's trying to get your attention. As one author puts it, trust that this is going somewhere. If it sounds odd or shocking, it's probably because the author is trying to jolt you out of your normal way of thinking. So let's get back to this somewhat crazy progression that's happening here. We went from worry to judging to specks and planks to, to dogs and pigs. How is this all connected? Well, again, I believe it's calling us to prioritize, to enjoy this worry-free life. We must first entrust yourself to God's loving care. This means you must surrender all of your stress and worries and drama and anxieties. This is where you begin. You entrust yourself to God. You turn it over. You surrender. You let go of control and you trust that God is good and that you are loved. But there's a second step, and this gets a little bit harder and a little bit more complex. You have to entrust others to God. You have to entrust others to God, because if you don't, you will inevitably take out your stress, your worry, your drama, and your anxieties by trying to control and manipulate others. Whew, ouch, this is starting to hit close to home. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not alone in admitting how easy it is to critique and pick apart other people, especially when our interior life is a mess. I, I, I can admit to that. And I'm, when we don't entrust others to God, we end up judging others, condemning others. We disapprove of whatever it is they're doing. And we try to shame them into doing things our way. As one writer put it, people with a high need to control others are generally doing it as a way of dealing with the lack of control they're experiencing within themselves. You see, we often try to distract ourselves from the chaos that's happening within by focusing on the faults of others. 
Like, oh, look at, look at what they're doing. Oh, oh. But it's often just a reflection of what's going on inside of us. I know the times that I've been most critical of other people. It's because I've just been a mess inside. And sometimes even when I'm critical of other people and, and I'm pointing the finger, then all of a sudden when, when I have to follow through on my commitments, it, it, it paralyzes me. Because I, again, I, I'm being judged by the same judgment I used against them. But one of the first things you learn in recovery is that you can't control people. You can't control people, you can't control places, you can't control things. You have to entrust yourself to God and you have to entrust others to God. But here's an unexpected twist. Sometimes we use good things to try and, and control others. For example, sometimes we try to control others by showering them with praise or by giving them gifts. Have you ever experienced this before? You've been buttered up. Someone has just sung your praises and you're kind of feeling puffed up, but then you start realizing, I'm not so sure about the sincerity of it. Like, why are they being so nice? What do they want? Or you've been given a gift, but somehow you start getting the sense that this gift has all sorts of strings attached to it. Yeah, have you felt that before? You, you know it's a gift, but it also feels like a debt. Like you're gonna owe something at some point. And I believe when Jesus is talking about giving dogs something sacred or pigs something val valuable, he's teaching us to be careful with how we treat others. Because if we haven't entrusted others to God, we may be trying to give them good gifts for the wrong reason. We may be trying to pressure people and force things upon them that they don't want or that they're simply not ready for. So they feel pressured and forced and manipulated and they might just turn around and attack you. Do you see this tension that sometimes we, we use good things but with wrong motives? And people can feel this. They can sense when they're being manipulated because we haven't entrusted them to God, but it also comes out of our own fears and insecurities that we're trying to do this. I know for myself, I grew up in a church environment where I would often hear the line that if you don't accept Christ as your savior tonight and you walk out of here and get hit by a bus, do you know where you're going? Whew. Like, talk about shame. Again, you, you understand some of it and what they're trying to say, but they're going about it the wrong way. One of my youth leaders, he used to call it fire insurance. That accepting Jesus was mainly insurance to keep you out of hell. Like, what have we done with the message? This is good news. This is supposed to free people from bondage, but yet we're shaming them and condemning them and saying, accept Jesus or you'll burn in hell. Jesus has come to bring life and life to the full. So we need to be careful about how we go about things and that we're not condemning and shaming and manipulating people. 
We have to simply entrust them to God. Because one thing I've learned over time is that God is bigger than this. God is bigger than me. God is more sovereign than we give him credit for. Do I believe you should surrender your life to Christ? Absolutely. That's why my first point was entrust yourself to God. But do I think I need to shame and condemn and judge and manipulate you into doing so? Not a chance. I'd rather entrust you to God and know that he will work in your heart far more than I ever could. But I will say, when you feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit, when you feel the butterflies in your stomach or your heart thumping and you know that God is speaking to you or he's asking you to follow him, he's asking you to commit your life to surrendering to him, I will always encourage you to follow. I will always tell you to say yes to him. But this brings us back to the speck in the plank. Again, Jesus is teaching us that we need to check ourselves, our reasons and motives for doing things. And if we haven't entrusted ourselves to God, then we're going to try and take control of others that are essentially out of our control. Another area you can see this play out is in family systems. In families, there's a way that we do things. And if someone in the family decides to do things differently, there's often a lot of judgment and condemnation. And if judging and shaming don't work, well, then we might also try praise and gifts to get them back in line, right? You see the pattern? But at the end of the day, we need to entrust others to God. We need to entrust ourselves to God. We need to entrust our kids to God. We need to entrust those around us to God. Because when we don't, we are trying to play the role of God. But when we do entrust others to God, you see how this begins to release us from worry? When we entrust others to, to God, we can let go and simply trust him that he has them, that he will work in their hearts and their lives. And as we entrust ourselves to God, we can breathe deeply, knowing that God is in control and that he is good. But all of this comes down to our priorities. It starts with putting God first and becoming aware of his presence and his goodness that is all around us. See, Jesus is inviting us to follow him in a new way of living. He invites us to enter this new kingdom that he has inaugurated, that he has initiated. And it's a life where we can experience contentment and peace and joy and happiness. It's a life of confidence, confident in the goodness of God. We don't have to worry because we've placed our faith and our trust in him. And when we live this way with Jesus, when we release our worry into the hands of God, we shift from a judgmental attitude to one that's humble and forgiving and charitable and benevolent and that's open-handed and that's full of love and grace. 
Think about the people who have influenced you the most throughout your life. The people that you want to be around. The people who just have this inner peace you desire. I would imagine that they have a non-anxious presence. They have this inner stillness and this sense of deep, deep love. You know when you are with that person that you are loved, that you matter, period. They love you and they give to you and you know that there are no strings attached because they've simply entrusted you and the plans for you to God. Which ironically is why they're able to have such an impact and influence in your life. You see, when you entrust yourself to God, when you entrust others to God, you can now live freely and lightly. You can actually help people with no strings attached. When you entrust yourself and others to God, you can be present to the God-given joy of life. Don't worry. Be present. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, help us to be where we are and to know where you are. Meet us in our worries, our anxieties, our exhaustion, our insecurity, and our questions. As we move forward in the midst of where we are, help us to trust you. May we simply, quietly, be still and know. May we see you all around us. And even if we might be busy on the outside, God, don't let hurry overwhelm us on the inside. Remind us to walk in step with you one day at a time. Let your peace rule within us. Quiet us in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainties. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.